Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another podcast discussing Iowa Hawkeyes men's basketball in what is not the happiest time of the season, but you got to take the bad with the good, I guess. Nathan Ford is with me again. How you doing, Nathan? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. A little better than the Hawkeyes. I'm, I, uh, I'm afraid to report for their fans, but they already <laughs> knew that. I got, this is Tuesday morning. We're recording this. I got home from Bloomington yesterday afternoon. Three-day trip to see a two-hour basketball game that didn't have any happiness to report for Iowa fans. And the question that is now being asked is, is this team in trouble? What is your answer to that question? I'm pretty torn on this one. I'm going, I'm, I've been going back and forth with it kind of all week, even after the Ohio state game, the question I think was starting to enter people's minds just because they had already lost Indiana once and they really hadn't, they hadn't been the team. One of the people view as one of the elite teams in the big 10, I guess what I would say is like I said last week, I think most of the time in college basketball teams are remembered long into the future for what they do in the postseason. So I think there's that shred of hope right now, if you're a Hawkeye fan, but in this moment, I, I get why it's tough to, to view it that way, because I I don't think anybody thought coming into the season that this team was like going to go undefeated or anything. I think people are rational enough to expect that they're going to lose games. But when you just step back and look at, at their, NCAA tournament resume, for example, they're, they're three and five in quad one games, three and one in quad two games. They have no bad losses. What the, you know, what the resume would say is a bad loss, but they just, there's, there hasn't really been that memorable win, that memorable game so far. And they've had opportunities against Gonzaga. Obviously that really ended up not being that close, but the the opportunity was there to win um Illinois then Ohio State and so until that happens I would say that that's where a good amount of the fear comes in that maybe this isn't going to be that special of a season and then you combine that with with two losses to Indiana and and all of a sudden it, it goes from it I think people are starting to think maybe not even is it just not going to be a special season but it's going to be frankly, quite middle of the pack, as you were writing a little bit about on, on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, they were 11-9 and nine last season, and it was a good season because of expectations, because of injuries that reduced their roster, and you said that they, they pretty much maxed out, I thought. And I think they would have been a, a troublesome team in the Big Ten and NCAA tournaments. Uh, right now, 11-9 and nine would be dismal Mm. considering the expectations outsiders placed on them but the expectations they themselves placed on them they're seven and five right now 11 and nine means you go 500 the rest of the way and you look at the schedule and you could see them going 500 the rest of the way they've got two games with wisconsin they're at ohio state they're at michigan Uh, they're at michigan state saturday and they've got a Rutgers team coming in tomorrow night 
that's won four straight and then has everything uh, cohesive for the first time all season, health-wise. So you're looking at six of those eight games being against quad one opponents. And one of the other two is at Michigan State. You know, that's tough duty. Uh, at the same time, a panic button might not be the thing to press right now because Iowa hasn't been getting blown out. They lost by 12 at home to Indiana, but they led that game in the second half. The final score is a little misleading. Iowa froze up in the last 10 minutes, 12 minutes. Uh, that game was there to be won. You just make a few shots. Uh, the game uh, Sunday at Indiana obviously was there to be won. If Franklin doesn't make that shot, I think Iowa wins in overtime. Ifs and buts, candy and nuts. The game at Illinois, right to the very end. Illinois is playing as well as any team in America right now. The game against Ohio State, they led by 11 in the second half. And McCaffrey got mad at the terminology I used, but I, I said, you know, games have gotten away from them. Well, that one got away from them. Ohio State, like Illinois, playing as well as any team in the country right now. Okay, so long story short, sort of short, they've lost four or five. Is this panic button time? I say no, but keep your finger ready. If uh, you look at last year in the Big Ten, three teams were co-champions or tri-champions or whatever the terminology is. Maryland lost three out of four late in the season. Still got a tie for the title. Wisconsin lost three out of four and four out of six at one point. Won its last eight, got a tie of the title. Michigan State lost four out of five. Won its last five, got a tie for the title. I'm not saying that's, that Iowa's going to win its last eight and somehow get a tie of the title. I can't imagine that. Michigan has one loss. Iowa has five. But what I am saying is that these things do happen to good teams. These things can happen to very good teams. Auburn went to the Final Four two years ago. It lost three in a row in the SEC. But it could just as easily go the other way if you don't beat Rutgers tomorrow night and you're going to Michigan State and then you're going to Wisconsin right after that. Then you can pound that panic button. Yeah, and like you said, teams lose. I mean, Villanova lost to St. John's by double digits last week after everybody anointed them as the, the team that's right behind Gonzaga and Baylor. Tennessee lost to Ole Miss. Creighton got beat at home by Georgetown, which is like their second or third quad three loss, and that was a top ten team a couple weeks ago. I mean, I I, I – I get why the the four losses in five games is it has been frustrating, but I, I'm with you. I don't think you push the panic button after that. I think this this is kind of I look at this as kind of a get right week. I mean, you you hope to get Frederick back, and you play some you play a beatable team at home and a beatable team on the road, and then you've got the, the make or break part of the regular season. Really, four out of the last five are against big 10 contenders. Mm -hmm. So this, this is kind of, like you said, it can go either way after this week. I, I think depending on what happens this week, I, I think you, 
at least at least want to give yourself a chance by winning by winning these games this week it's not going to be easy but if you can then that makes you know some of the games of the past a, a little more forgettable right I, I mean this like every week it seems like I mean they're coming off two losses every week the narrative seems to change if they win both games this week the narrative really changes but if you just go 500 I mean these things matter because they've they've dropped to the four line according to most of the NCAAs uh, I don't know if they are or not but let's let's say they are you don't you'd much rather be on the in the three area the four line gets you that four against five in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Uh, that means you're playing a team almost your equal just to get to the Sweet 16. You'd rather avoid that. Uh, and then in the Big Ten tournament, where they've never gotten the, the double buy all the way to Friday, they haven't made it. Uh, I don't know how many years it's been since they've had a, a buy all the way to Friday, but it's been a long, long time. You want that. You know, it's one less obstacle that you can trip over. Uh, and it's one more game for somebody to get hurt. So it does matter finishing in the top four of the Big Ten. And it does matter getting that seat as high as you can. Right. And that that's another thing that if you make a run in the Big Ten tournament, that that brings a lot more goodwill that kind of erases this little stretch. If you get, if you put yourself into that position, mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when Iowa used to be a team that everybody looked at at the big 10 tournament, that was dangerous. I mean, they won it a couple of times and you've got a long memory. Yeah. <laughs> that, that hasn't happened in a long time, obviously. And that would be something a little unique to this team. I think in this era is if they could put themselves in position to do that. Yes. I mean, the Big Ten regular season title is almost a pipe dream at this point. You've got to run the table against great opposition and Michigan's got to fall down four times. We haven't seen Michigan in going on three weeks. So who knows what's what the deal is there? And they've got a tough schedule. But to ask, you know, that's that's asking a lot. I mean, running the table is absurd, given the schedule. And, you know, it's 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 weird that. Just a couple of weeks ago, if you'd have said that the Big Ten title is is kind of forget it, uh, that would have been a hard thing to believe or accept. Yeah, I mean, five straight wins at that point, you're going in and really no reason to believe it wasn't going to be six going into that Indiana game. And then you've got Illinois, which was kind of one of those, obviously Gonzaga, but in terms of Big Ten was one of the first kind of game of the year type games and now here we are two weeks later and discussing if they can get into the top four I mean that I I, like I said I I don't I want to push the panic button but I I totally understand the frustration from the fan base because that's where they expected to be not only at the start of the season but just a couple weeks ago they were it was big 10 title talk and there was confidence just all over the place in, in that locker room. And now, now it's kind of the struggle bus a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I want to dwell too much on Indiana because we, 
we really should be looking forward. These games come fast and furious. But there was something that happened in that Indiana game that rankled a lot of people, which was Luca Garza getting pulled with 1230 left in the first half with two fouls. That you can understand. But as McCaffrey is wont to do, he sat Garza for the entire 1230. Uh, there were people who disagreed with that. Uh, and it's, a, it's been a McCaffrey thing. He did bring Keegan Murray back in for a little while with two falls in the first half, but he almost had to bring somebody back in with two falls because he had four or five players who had two. But it wasn't going to be Garza. And Iowa froze up on offense after that. I think Wieskamp was about the only guy who scored a basket. And a, a nice lead that I think was 10 points when Garza left turned into a two-point halftime deficit. And that as much as anything is where they lost that game. The second half, Garza goes all 20 minutes, doesn't pick up a third foul. And Garza knows how to play with foul trouble. But the question is, should McCaffrey have used Garza for at least two or three minutes in that first half to try to get some offense going? Uh, I have my opinions on this, but let's hear yours. You know, I look at a lot of coaching decisions as defensible you know, based on how they can rationalize it there. I may disagree with it. I may think that the other option, another option was better, but I look at many decisions as I can see what they were thinking. This is one where I just, I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, you look at Garza, first of all, is averaging three fouls per 40 minutes in all games in big 10 games which you would expect would be more physical, rougher, easier to get fouls. He's averaging 2.8 fouls for 40 minutes. So I, I just think you, when you have a national player of the year, you're already playing a team that likes to not, not likes it's their identity to muck things up, play well defensively. You need that offensive option. I don't care what, what the first half lead is, especially when it kind of, when it dwindled, like it did, you, yeah. you need to get to that. You need to get your guy in there to to steady things. And I guess probably what Fran is thinking, first of all, I think it's probably something that he just views as a rule almost because he, you know, Iowa rank, uh, is ranked 340th in the nation in Ken Palm's two-foul participation rate at 2.2%. So it's, it, it seems like maybe just one of those things where he – has always viewed it that way and just views it as a rule that he firmly believes in and doesn't think should be changed. Mm -hmm. But I think he looks at it as, well, we need Garza for that last stretch. We, it's more important to have him at the end. Hopefully we can stay in the game and he can be in there in the second half and score the, the baskets that matter most at that point. And Obviously, he was big down the stretch. He put Iowa in a position to, to have a chance to win. But it just it, it wasn't necessary to sit him for 12 minutes. I, I'm, and I'm not saying he had to be in there the entire 12 minutes. And if he gets a third foul, no, keep him in there. You could have put him in for a few minutes at the end of the half. And I just – to me, it, it was objectively the wrong decision. And I, I just I, – I, I believe that. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think your points are very sound. 
you, and, and no, you're not going to keep him in the game after he got his second foul. You're not going to try and get through 16 or 18 of those 20 minutes with him in the first half. But if the bench had been producing just a decent amount of offense, you don't, we're not talking about this. It's not an issue. The bench gave them nothing offensively. The, the reserves were a combined 0 for 12 in that game and played a total of 61 minutes. Uh, they needed a few points in the last 10 minutes of that second half from somebody other than Joe Wieskamp. Indiana's bench was in, consisted entirely of four freshmen. They combined for 19 points. They made some big shots in that game. You had, you, I'm not saying Iowa needed that, but they needed something. And, and we've lauded the bench at various times, including the win over Michigan State. But they were getting to the basket. They were getting the ball in the basket enough uh, to go along with really good defensive effort that they deserved the praise. In this game, uh, Toussaint wasn't there. And, uh, you know, Nunji wasn't there offensively. A guy coming off an 18-point game. Garza has shown throughout his career he can play with foul trouble. He's fouled out, I think, once in his career, and that was in the last few seconds of a game. Okay, I've said that. Now, here's why I think I can understand why McCaffrey did it. Because beyond that it is a rule of his, and, and rules are meant to be bent, I've seen other teams go with guys with two fouls in the first half this year against Iowa and get their third, and basically become of little use from that point on. The psychological aspect is you, you come into the second half with two fouls, you feel like you've got zero Let's go, you know, pedal to the metal for the next 20 minutes. And that is what Garza did. Uh, his production didn't really start until the last 10 minutes of the game, but he didn't pick up another foul and he played freely on offense, I thought. And they had nobody scoring for a long stretch in the second half other than him. So, okay, there's that. Also, when Garza does have foul trouble, his defense becomes much less than what it is normally. And I think his defense is, is noticeably better this year than it was last year. And I thought it was very good until that second foul. Uh, Jackson Davis of Indiana didn't get much in that first half. Iowa did a really good job on him. So uh, there is that psychological aspect. Uh, maybe Garza gives up as much as he gets if he stays in the game. But the way that bench was producing, I'm with you. You gotta find something, and uh, it, you know it's review mere stuff, but it's rankling when you lose by a basket with 1.8 seconds left, and you wonder what might have been. Yeah, and I, and I look at it this way too. You know, maybe there are players on the team that have difficulty playing with two fouls. I think. I think Patrick McCaffrey's two foul or fouls per 40 minutes is pretty high. You know, there's some, probably some younger guys that, yeah, let's, you need to, let's just sit in for a while. We don't necessarily need him and that's okay. But when you've got a guy, like you said, who just, he can play with fouls and he's smart and he, he's not going to put himself in those positions. 
and you're playing a team that in the previous time you played them, your offense completely collapsed and you're faced with that almost exact same scenario, just a different time of the game. I mean, they're outscored 20 to eight in the final 10 minutes. And like you said, Wieskamp was the only one that uh, final 10 minutes of the first half, Wieskamp was the only one to make a basket. I just think you, you have to adjust and, and not let things spiral even if it is only the first half and it was basically, I think it was, it was tied or close to tied going into, into the break because while yes, the, those high impact minutes down the stretch are what ends up deciding games, the points count the same in the first half. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to be that, that if your offense is struggling that much and you're in, you've already seen it before and you've got the national player of the year, who is one of the best scorers in the country I just think you take a chance and put put him in the game on the Mm -hmm. road. Well, you and I are simpatico on this. I think a lot of the fan base is simpatico. McCaffrey, however, strongly disagrees. So, which is a good thing for us because he gets the blame. We don't. (laughs) Well, what what you can't blame him for is CJ Frederick's been out and it's had an effect. Um, The guy's a really, really good player. I mean, he's a 50% three-point shooter. He takes good shots. He he opens the court for Wieskamp and for Bohannon and for Garza to an extent, too. Uh, His perimeter defense, I think, is as good as anybody's on the team. And uh, heaven knows they need all the help they can get there. And uh, he hasn't been there. Okay, but my take on this is that injuries happen. And you can lay too much blame on his absence for Iowa's troubles. Maybe too much is an exaggeration. But, I mean, because it is a reason. You don't lose a a key starting player and not feel it. But these... It's easier to find a team that's had injury problems at some point through 18 or 20 games than it is that isn't. Ohio State had C.J. Walker out for four games, and and two of their top reserves have missed several games. Liddell missed two games. Rutgers, the team coming in here Wednesday, uh, this isn't the same Rutgers team Iowa played. Geo Baker missed three games before the new year. Ron Harper was just coming off an injury when he played against Iowa and wasn't really his Ron Harper self. And uh, uh, their backup big man, Omaruyi, didn't play at all against Iowa. These guys are all there now. They've won five in a row. Purdue, three of their rotation players have missed at least three games. Uh, you, You know, you can't use it as an excuse, but yet, you know, it hasn't helped. Yeah, I mean that that's been my defense pretty much throughout all of this is yes, they they've lost these games, but they've been close and it's a margin that I think CJ Frederick makes a difference in. But at the same point to to your point, the margin if you if you're an elite one of the elites in college basketball or you want to be, I don't think you it would expect the margin to be quite that thin. Now yeah, if Garza, if 
Garza had been the guy missing all these games, then you you're okay. You, you expect to lose that four out of five. But as good as Frederick is, he's like you said, the best shooter I think on the team. Mm-hmm. He, he he doesn't turn the ball over. He plays good defense without fouling. I I think he makes that big of a difference. Where I I don't think Iowa's in this position if he's playing, uh, if he if he isn't hurt. And I, I listened to to Fran McCaffrey a bit a bit on the radio the other night, and he was saying just how frustrating it's been for CJ because it's been kind of one of those things where some days he feels good and some days he doesn't. So that's not exactly encouraging either that it's going to be something that he can, you know, come back right away and, and, and get right back to where he was. But yeah, I mean, you, you, you would hope that you're a deep enough team with everybody coming back that you can, you can kind of plug the hole for a little bit until he comes back but it it just hasn't been the case and I don't know I I still think that when he comes back that Iowa is going to look like the team that we expected it to if he Mm -hmm. if he's able to come back full strength and and look like himself again but I I also get why you can't just use that as an excuse because you had so many guys coming back and you've got talent coming off the bench that you would hope to just be to be able to kind of mesh that a little bit better Mm mm-hmm well, he did miss three or four games last season, and when he came back, he came back strong, and they were clearly better for it. Uh, I think that what McCaffrey's doing is right. It's like, don't bring him back until you know that he's going to be good to go the rest of the way, because, as you just said, it makes him a different team down the stretch and in the postseason. And right now, I mean, they've suffered, but at least – Perkins and to a lesser extent, Euless have gotten some game and Patrick McCaffrey have gotten game minutes that maybe will pay off for them in March. I mean, suddenly Perkins has been a rotation player who hasn't hurt them and has helped them on occasion. And Euless had his moments, including when Frederick was healthy out at Rutgers. Euless had a big game in that game when Connor McCaffrey got hurt and, and only played the first three minutes. So maybe you'll have better depth come March, but you gotta have uh, you gotta have Frederick right. You can't put him out there at 75%, which and he wasn't even 75% when they put him out there a couple of games ago, and, and he couldn't give him anything. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, that wasn't the right move, but it's an under- understandable move because you don't know. Uh, and they don't even tell you what the extent of the injury is, so so we don't really know what we're talking about. But if he's salvageable for a considerable chunk of this season, don't play him this week. If he's right, get him out there. And it sounds like he, that he did practice on Monday and they're going to give him – uh, they, they, you know, they're going to see how he does Tuesday and hope, hope that he plays against Rutgers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm with you. If he's, if he's not, if he's not there yet. Don't, don't put him in because yeah, as much as I was saying that this is kind of the, the get right week and you want to win these games, like they're not the most important games in the big picture. I mean, yeah, I was not falling, anymore. Right. Right. I, yeah, I was falling to a four seed and probably out of big 10 contention. And now you kind of have to refocus and move down the line in terms of your season goals and 
as much as it hurts to to not play with him if he's if he's not in that position yeah i don't think you can do it yeah mm-hmm. and a disclaimer for people watching and listening to this we're, we're recording this before mccaffrey is having a conference call with reporters tuesday afternoon and and maybe he'll give us the definitive word on the injury situation uh what is immediately staring us in the face is rutgers wednesday night in carver Rutgers looked like a team that was gone, gone, gone a few weeks ago when Iowa beat them uh, in New Jersey right after the new year. Uh, Rutgers was a highly ranked team and then lost that game and proceeded to lose its next four. And you thought this is the biggest disappointment in the Big Ten. Uh, They have won their last four. They, if they beat Iowa, they're ahead of Iowa in the standings. They won at Iowa two years ago. Uh, they have their first four-game winning streak in their history in the Big Ten. Uh, and they haven't won five straight conference games since 1991 when they were in the Atlantic Ten. This is not the Rutgers we used to know and love. <laughs> They used to be the Big Ten's foot wipe. They are competitive. They're tough. They've got good players. They have an excellent coach. And uh, here, you know, it's like Iowa's not getting scheduling luck lately. It seems like Ohio State came in playing at maximum efficiency and showed why. Can Rutgers do the same thing? I think Rutgers is a team that that smells blood coming in to Iowa City this week because – like you said, they're they're back on a roll. They're healthy, and they sense that Iowa is a gettable team right now. And frankly, this has turned into a kind of a nice little—I'm not going to say rivalry—but it's been pretty been pretty heated the last couple of years. You had the the Weiss Camp buzzer beater off the glass last year. Was an was an 85-80 Iowa win in a kind of a back and forth game, and and then yeah, Rutgers winning on senior day uh, a couple of years ago, Nicholas mm-hmm. Bear's senior day, that was, that was kind of what set it all off um, in terms of these last few years. So, yeah, I think, I think it's a, it's a game you've got to be worried about if you're, if you're an Iowa fan, because it's a, it's a team that defends and yes, they, they, they have some offensive weapons, but I think this winning streak of theirs has been built on, on their defense, their toughness, their intensity, their depth, that they've that they've gotten back it's in that regard it's a team that's a little bit similar to indiana but Rutgers has some better outside shooters than mm-hmm. indiana does ron harper has has torched iowa in the past and that that's a guy that you're you're worried about and then they also have some size that can that can go up oh. against garza and, and iowa's post so yeah it, while while you look at sort of the rankings and say, okay, this is a game Iowa can get at home, get back on track. It, it's going to, it's a game that you've got to be, you know, concerned about if you're, if you're a fan coming into it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the big man, Miles Johnson is playing great. He's six eleven. The only thing he can't do is make a free throw. <laughs> That's He's a horrendous free throw shooter. And that played to Iowa's advantage late in the game out in Piscataway which is a name I always like saying. <laughs> but about the, the last four games, Johnson's averaging a double-double. He's blocking shots like crazy. He's playing winning basketball. And 
they got a big guy in reserve, Omaruyi, who didn't, who was hurt and couldn't play against Iowa. So they'll have 40 minutes of guys like that. And this guy, Omaruyi, has done a great job. I like saying Omaruyi too. <laughs> but, but I mean, they've got two seriously troublemaking big guys. And then you've got veterans. Geo Baker, a guard, this is his fourth year of doing what he's done. And he's a good defender. And he makes plays. Harper, as you said, he scored 27 and 29 in his two games at Carver. And we didn't get the, the full Harper on January, whatever it was, the second, because he was coming off an injury. He played, but he just wasn't really himself. Well, he's back. And Caleb McConnell wasn't even supposed to play this year, had a back injury. He plays his first game of the year against Iowa and didn't do anything in that. He was just feeling his oats. But, all, but you know, now he's playing, and, and he's a, uh, in that eight-man rotation, and he's a veteran who does a lot of good things. Uh, Young was their best player against Iowa. He's on the bench. I mean, he's in the rotation, but he's not starting for them. This is a dangerous team. This is a team that has clawed back into the top 25 after losing five straight games. This is a team that is in that quad one territory. Iowa is going to have to play extremely well to beat them. And that is, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. Yeah, and it's a team that, that's not afraid whatsoever. They already beat, beat Illinois back in December. Uh, I think, uh, we, you know, we were talking about the uh, – whether you take guys out with two fouls, I think if you're Iowa, you just throw as many guys in there, keep seven guys in and out and foul them because they're shooting 60.1% from the free throw line. I mean, that, yeah. That's the one mark that is just horrendous and everything else is pretty good if you look at Rutgers. So maybe, maybe Iowa, if Iowa's back to, you know, shooting free throws the way it can, that, that could be a difference. But yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's, it is a really dangerous team. And when you're on a roll like this, they they're they're confident. They're gonna they're gonna come out and guard really well. And it's gonna be a, especially if Frederick doesn't play, it's gonna be on on Iowa's guys to like like Wieskamp did on Sunday against Indiana, came out aggressive and really looking for his shot, driving, shooting, was fantastic in the first half and then was a little quieter in the second half. And you know, part of that's just Indiana being a really good defensive team, but I think that's what you're looking for if you're if you're Iowa. You need your you need your big guns to come out and go toe to toe with a really good Big Ten defensive team. Mm -hmm. And then three days later, at Michigan State, and we all know Michigan State has not been Michigan State this year. Seems like almost nobody has been themselves in the uh, the elite group: North Carolina, Duke, Kansas, Kentucky. Michigan State, which I put right in there with those other four. Uh, but yet, and Michigan State plays at, uh, at home against Penn State tonight, Tuesday night. So we, we don't know how that's going to turn out. But And Penn State, another team back from the dead. But that's a whole other story. But, uh, okay, so Michigan State is like 90th or something in the NAT rankings and has just had – it's – had the kind of year that everybody else in the Big Ten would wish it would have once in a while. At the same time, 
you're at their place and they're, I mean, they gave Iowa a very hard time in Iowa city and that's the only game Iowa's won in the last five. You can't say that's going to be a win. I mean, you can say it's going to be a win, but you can't say it with any conviction. Yeah. That's a game Michigan state thought it should have won. And so they're going to be ready to play on Saturday for sure. Um, it's a, it's a bad shooting team. I mean, they, they really struggle shooting, especially from the outside. But one thing that, that helps with that is when you get a lot of wide open shots, yeah. which has happened against Iowa many times this year. And they had a lot of open looks uh, the other, the other night that, that they played and knocked down a lot of them at the start of the game. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where if, if Iowa comes out and is able to, at least just not let them have wide open shots for a whole game. It's a game you should win, but that's not something we can say with any conviction right now. Mm -hmm. And if Michigan state beats slash has beaten Penn state, that's two wins in a row. And, you know, maybe there's some spirit up there that has, hasn't been there for much of the season. Yeah, and they just came off their, their COVID pause, so they're kind of getting their legs back under them. And if they they feel like the season isn't a lost cause after a couple of wins and getting back into practicing more, maybe they, they, they do have a little bit of a different mindset coming into that game. So it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. We, we all know Gars is going to be the player of the year in the Big Ten unless he, you know, turns pro tomorrow or something. Uh, and I think that we'd all agree Desunmu would be number two and a close number two. I mean, he's just fantastic. Hmm. If you disagree, let me know. Uh, what three other players would you put on the all Big Ten team right now? Because I, for the life of me, think that uh, it's awfully hard to narrow it down. There are there are some players in this league having great seasons. Yeah, man. And a lot of it. Will, will come down to probably those last couple of weeks and which but teams, right now which teams put themselves in position but yeah um I think you got I think you have to give Travion Williams a look from Purdue uh, I think he's been outstanding for them uh not quite as versatile a, a, a post player as Garza but he's led them to uh, back into contention obviously their young guys have been great too but I think he he's been outstanding. Liddell to me is an automatic. Yeah, true. Yeah, I I I'll, I would say Liddell. I would have uh, Kofi Coburn based on how he's been playing lately. And for my fifth, uh, Hunter Dickinson. I guess you got to have somebody from Michigan. Mm. Maybe Isaiah Livers. I don't know. It's been so long since we've seen Michigan, we forgot they exist. I know I was thinking through, I was trying to think through Michigan's guys too. And yeah, I think Hunter Dickinson's probably been their best player. Um, it, maybe it, it, a lot of it depends on, I mean, when you look at this, are you trying to pick a team that could actually take the floor? Are no, you think, I, I'd go with the five best. Five best. Yeah. And yeah, I think you throw Dickinson in there for sure. And even if you did have Coburn. Who, I, who's better right now, Nathan, Illinois or Ohio state? <laughs> Ooh, I, I think Ohio state is better right now, but if I had to pick a team that if I had to pick one of those teams to make the final four, I would pick Illinois. I think, I think so too. I think they have more upside. 
Colburn is coming on strong. Yeah. Uh, I listened to their game against Wisconsin on the radio as I was driving to Indiana Saturday. The Sunmu had a triple-double. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just a triple-double. He had 12 rebounds, 12 assists against Wisconsin, which isn't exactly racehorse basketball. Uh, but Colburn had eight dunks. He is, I mean, he's playing better by the week. Uh, he wasn't an NBA player at the end of last season. I think that by the end of this season, he is. Really? Yeah. I mean, he is just, his. I think his game is getting smarter, getting better. He's getting tougher uh, all the time. And I agree with you. I think Illinois has the best chance of any Big Ten team to go to the Final Four. Yeah, I think Coburn definitely will end up in the pros, but I want to see his – I'd like to see his shooting get a little better and his his, uh, defense improve. But I guess when you're dunking it eight times a game, you don't really need to shoot that well, at least in college. But, yeah, I think, you know, Illinois, like we were talking about a couple weeks ago, they they were kind of skidding, didn't really have – they weren't really connected. They, they obviously mm-hmm. have the stars, but they, they they're kind of relying on some freshmen too. But I think you'll, I think that team is going to be, I think they'll, I mean, they are right now as we speak, putting it together. They, and, and Frazier has, was, was really good against Iowa. And if he's making plays yeah. like you expect a, a senior guard in March to make, that's, that's just another weapon for them. And, you know, Desunmu doesn't play the same position guards. It does. I, think you could make an argument the Sunmu is every bit uh, as valuable as Luca. Yeah, he's an all-American. He 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 scores just about any way possible. He's outstanding getting to the hoop, which he showed against Iowa a lot in the first half. Really good shooter, good defender, just all around outstanding player. And yeah, I think in a normal year, he's the Big Ten Player of the Year. Okay, I got one more question for you. I've got to write a story this afternoon about the Iowa Rutgers game. What's my angle? Oh, man, I don't know. See, this job isn't easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've got to. Okay. All right, I'll figure it out myself. Thanks for nothing. <laughs> Uh, although if you do have 650 words or so ship them to me by let's say 3:30, maybe it depends on how interesting the press conference is yeah probably <laughs> probably <laughs> if McCaffrey doesn't like a question maybe that's the story I, well, I get tired of that too you know I mean that's what I was no, gonna I'm ask you I'm what not saying McCaffrey I we make too big a deal about when he gets mad at, at questions yeah I mean we're you're catching these people after losses the most you know this is their livelihood this is what they live and breathe for and i'm telling you what if i'm a coach and i just got beat and i've lost four out of five i'm gonna think every question stupid whether they're the most brilliant questions or not because i'm gonna come in in a bad frame of mind yeah and that the trick is to cool off before you do it and to just try and somehow shrug it off mccaffrey can't and i'm pretty sure i couldn't either i'm i'm totally with you i i it's so funny to me that those because it always gets the attention of of the national pundits who 
they they just they know they just see Fran as this fiery guy who's just mad all the time. And so when there's a little bit of evidence there in the the press conference of him, you know, just being emotional and they just lost, then it's all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, wow, this is are you kidding me? How ridiculous is this that he can't control himself? You know, (laughs) like he's so mad. And I'm like, I mean, why do why do we expect the coaches to have so to have to be so nice and all the time and like just and say the perfect thing like to me it's inter- it's it's more exciting and funny and interesting when they're when they have actual reactions to things and i couldn't like, agree more we, we, we don't, don't expect robots yeah like we don't expect we don't expect writers to say the right thing like they're gonna be critical when they need to be fans are gonna get mad and they're not gonna say the the right things on twitter right after the game so i just to me it's not as big of a deal as people make it out to be oh i know and i can say that with the experience of a long time if i were a younger reporter and he went off on me i'd be i'd take it personally and i'd be angry and i'd be upset maybe but it's all the game within the game you know uh i don't want i i want people i interview to be real you know uh, so a lot of people re I mean, Kirk Ferentz is real. His real thing is to tuck things in emotionally, mm. though he's had his moments, but basketball coaches are different animals. And I like it when basketball coaches are themselves and there are a lot of them who are, you know, and, uh, uh, keep being that. And if, if a lot of the world criticizes you for it, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even the other night on, on Fran's radio show, I just listened to part of it, just happened to be sitting here and he was still, he was still talking about, you know, Keegan's fifth foul. I didn't think that was a foul. He thinks Lucas should have been, he said Lucas should have gone to the free throw line way more. Mm-hmm. And, and he was still, and, and to me, it, it didn't come across as like, Oh, I'm making, ex- we lost because of the refs. Like I, I, that, that's not how it came across to me. It came across as, I, I've got to figure out a way to get these guys in position to win the game. And I, I think our game plan of, uh, against Indiana of getting Garza fouled and, you know, he, he thought the game should have been called better. And I think that's a completely fair take. I mean, obviously I, I see why people think it's excuse making to a certain extent, but to me, that's, that's all part of the game too. There's no, the way fouls are called is inconsistent. It always has been. And yeah, so that's part of the game. And Do you th- Okay, uh, one more question then. <laughs> there, there are a lot of people out there now, and there's been, well, I don't know if it's a lot, but there's been a sort of more rumbling from what I've seen about, let them have six fouls. Yes or no? You want that? I, I've seen some people say have no fouling out at all. Um, that, that, uh, I don't like I, that. I, I, I could see six fouls. I think you, the, the risk you take is, you know, if you let guys just foul that it's just going to basketball is going to turn into four a foul. Big guys, let's go use 24 fouls. Yeah. And as much as yes, the, the counter to that is, well, if the other team has good free throw shooters, like you, you can't just foul Garza all game because he's an excellent free throw shooter, but in terms of the product, and I realize this technically isn't 
how college basketball always thinks of it. But in terms of getting people to watch, I don't want to watch a free throw contest. So I, I, as much as I understand where people are coming from that you shouldn't just be disqualified because you fouled so many times, it's a, it, it, the rule has its purposes to me. I think that the, that frustration obviously stems from the fact that it seems like more games than not, you'll watch a good player go to the bench with two fouls in the first half. And people like me who don't have rooting interests, I may just want to focus on, on the stars. Um, and it, it does detract from the game, but I, um, I don't know. I mean, six fouls in 40 minutes seems like a lot too. Maybe if you make the fifth and sixth fouls sting more from a free throw possession aspect, but then you're kind of watering down the game too. I, I just don't think there's an easy answer, but boy, I don't care. I'm an objective viewer. And if I'm at an Iowa game and say, say tomorrow night, uh, Miles Johnson gets a second foul three minutes into the game. I hate to see him go to the bench. You know, I want to see the best against the best. Mm -hmm. And and because, you know, uh, not all, not all, not all fouls look equal, but they, they count equal, you know, there, I mean, like Garza's when he was making a post move against Indiana and his elbow hit race Thompson in the face, you, you probably have to call that, but let's say if race Thompson's was backed up a little bit, then that, you know, Garza doesn't hit him. It doesn't turn into a foul or if the, the official decides that it was actually Thompson getting into Garza's space. I mean, so that that's what you hate to see is like some of those fouls that might've gone either way, just have to get called the exact same. And then, and then that leads to a guy going to the bench. Well, uh, when we meet again, we'll have a whole new narrative. (laughs) Last week, you nailed it. You thought that they'd split the two games. They did. I was wrong. I thought they'd win both. They could have. Uh, in a word, does Iowa get two, one, or zero this week? Hmm. I think Iowa get if, – if I was playing it safe, I would say Iowa gets one, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say they win both. Hmm. Uh, I am – Gonna play it safe and say one, <laughs> <laughs> and I and I don't know which one. My my suspicion is it's tomorrow, but really, yeah, I've I've had a pretty good feel for this until the skid, and uh, I mean I thought they'd lose at Illinois. I was quite sure of that, considerably sure of that, but uh, I thought they'd win at Indiana. I thought they'd beat Ohio State hmm. this week. I think I'll leave the prediction to you, basically. (laughs) Well, I lost all my Super Bowl prop bets, so I I don't think anybody (laughs) should be listening to me. What color Gatorade did you have? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't go for that one. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I should have. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, uh, I wish I'd bet on there being a streaker because the guy who streaked bet on himself. It was an inside job. (laughs) It was brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wonder if he oh, knew, God. like, I wonder if he knew, like, the fine, like, what the fine was going to be, and you know, was able to be like, because if he, if he didn't, then you're just kind of hoping that you're still going to come out profiting. But 
But I don't I'll know. tell you what, if you're taking bets and suddenly 50 grand comes in on, yes, there'll be a streaker. You got to call the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And on that bizarre note, let's call it a day. <laughs>